Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 291. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. How you doing, guys? We are in well into the month of October as this episode is going out. Fall is in the air. Probably. As I'm recording this, it's like 80 degrees where I am, so it's hard to feel very fall-like. My, uh, you know, wool sweater is really sticking to me, and uh, it's kind of sexy, actually. But uh, I'll leave you with that mental image, a dorky podcaster sweating in a wool sweater. That's some hot stuff. All right, let's move on. Not a whole lot of news this week, but we do get to hop into the Wayback Machine and visit an old friend. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. That's right. We have some Mad Mike Hughes news. Some of you listeners who've been around for a while will remember that uh, I did a segment on the show for a while for no particular reason other than to amuse myself about daredevil Mad Mike Hughes. He lives lived out in Las Vegas. He was a limousine driver by trade, I guess, but he was also a daredevil in the parlance of our times. Um, he enjoyed fast cars and motorcycles, and it seems like mostly what he liked to do was build rockets in his backyard and blast himself up as close to being in space as possible. He didn't have uh, Bezos or uh, Richard Branson money, but he would cobble together things and he would do GoFundMe campaigns and stuff. and. Eventually, he got the uh, he got the attention of the flat Earth movement, and started espousing you know flat Earth uh, theories and whatnot, and, and encouraging flat Earthers to give him money to fund his rockets. It's entirely me, based on nothing really, but I kind of wonder if he was really just playing that up so he could get the money because he did also kind of make some uh, he did kind of equivocate a bit and he'd say things like well. You know, we'll take a camera up there, and, and we'll just kind of take some pictures and see what's going on. So, uh, I don't know how strong, maybe he was a very strong flat earther, I, I don't know. But, regardless, tragically, he uh, died in a, uh, a rocket accident. I think there was, a, as I recall, on a launch, the launch went okay, but one of the parachutes on the rockets got tangled, I guess, and it, it messed up the flight of the rocket, and uh, sadly he ended up perishing in the crash. That was the end of the segment on the podcast. Until now. I was uh, really not looking for Flat Earth or Mad Mike Hughes news, but I happened to come across this article. Sportskeeda.com ran a piece on September 30th with the headline, When Logan Paul was allegedly sued by Mad Mike Hughes for his Flat Earth mockumentary. I will pause here to tell you that anyone who doesn't know, Logan Paul is a YouTuber, uh, is active on social media, has a YouTube channel uh, that would cover the YouTuber part, I guess. The Impulsive Podcast has 3 million followers, roughly the same as Atari Bytes. Um, according to his personal website, born and raised in Ohio, Logan moved to Los Angeles at 19 in order to pursue entertainment beyond social media. Over the past three years, he's garnered a massive audience and has become one of the most recognized social media stars on the planet. So, in 2019, he made a Flat Earth mockumentary with the title Flat Earth to the Edge and Back. 
in the movie, he interviewed people who were believers of the theory. One of the people he interviewed was Mad Mike Hughes. Uh, allegedly, according to this article, Hughes filed a lawsuit against Paul, claiming the YouTube star used footage of him under false pretenses. Hughes apparently sued the Maverick, I guess that's what people refer to Paul as, for a whopping $500,000. Quoting uh, a quote this article attributes to Hughes from the Daily Beast, he, Logan Paul, parodied everybody. He used my image and I never signed a release. I was never told what this thing was for. In fact, when he interviewed me, I didn't know who the guy was. I didn't find out until later it was Logan Paul, some YouTube guy, which still didn't mean nothing to me. After this movie comes out, you'll fi- you find out he staged half of it. The article goes on to talk about how Logan Paul made his boxing debut in 2019 as well. I kind of don't care about that. I kind of want to know more about the lawsuit. In a 2019 article, the Daily Beast claimed that, yeah, there was a lawsuit. Much of Paul's mockumentary was filmed at 2019's Flat Earth International Conference in Denver, Colorado. At the conference, Paul delivered a brief speech claiming to come out of the Flat Earth closet. The movie interviews real Flat Earthers, but by the end of the film, Paul reveals he does not actually believe the conspiracy theory. Apparently, there's some disagreement over how Logan Paul got into the conference to begin with. So, I don't know what the status of that lawsuit is. I guess, potentially... Hughes' estate is pursuing it. I don't know. That's about the most recent information I can see. So, there you go. little update about Mad Mike Hughes for you. Make of it what you will, I guess. Gonna prove that the world is flat In his rocket ship Or else he'll go splat He's Mad Mike Hughes Mad Mike Hughes Let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is Sesame Street, Oscar's Trash Race, from Atari and the Children's Computer Workshop, 1983. So we have a brightly colored orange and red manual here with Oscar the Grouch from Sesame Street on the cover. You'll notice I had to clarify, or I felt like I had to clarify Oscar the Grouch from Sesame Street, as opposed to, you know, Oscar the Grouch from uh, CSI, Miami, or something. Educational games featuring the lovable Sesame Street Muppets and other wonderful whimsical characters as presented by Atari and Children's Computer Workshop, the creators of Sesame Street Electric Company, oh man, that was a good show, and 321 Contact have learned have teamed up with the creators of the world's most popular video games. The formula is pretty simple. One part creative magic, one part technical wizardry, one part educational know-how, one part dynamic child-appropriate video games, and you get family play, continuous challenge, long-term fun, non-violent play, opportunity for cooperation, cooperative play, individual play, and competitive play. Appeals to both girls and boys. Oh my god. Video games that appeal to girls. What were they thinking over there at the Children's Television Workshop? This manual is so long, it actually rivals the manual for Space Shuttle. It is long enough that they actually have a table of contents in the manual. Note to parents, Oscar's Trash Race provides an exciting urban setting for practicing a variety of numerical skills and concepts as well as important pre-reading skills. I guess that was kind of the thing with Sesame Street, right? That the main set for Sesame Street was, and I guess still is, although it's it's gotten a little less, hmm, gritty, I guess, a little bit that I've tuned into Sesame Street over the years since my kids were little. Side, side note, my kids were not really every ever Sesame Street kids. They usually gravitated to the Disney Channel. I was a Sesame Street kid, but, I mean, that was me. So, 
so I have not, the point is I've not seen a lot of Sesame Street over the years. But when I was a kid, uh, it was sort of that blacktop, concrete, sort of the backs of apartment buildings kind of thing that was the neighborhood. And it still kind of is. But now I think, you know, when I was a kid, the, the businesses were, were Mr. Hooper's store, like a, like a newspaper stand, and you could get, you know, a magazine and a candy bar. And maybe they had, they might have had coffee, but I'm not even sure they had that. Now they've got like, like a, co- a coffee shop where you can get a latte and stuff. And it, it's a lot brighter colors and, and a little, a little cleaned up, it seems like. But anyway, in this 1983 Sesame Street game, they were promoting that the game offered an exciting urban setting for learning important pre-reading skills and numerical skills. Uh, counting objects and matching the number of objects counted with the corresponding numeral, recognizing the number of objects in a pattern, following directional arrows, using the relational concepts up, down, left, and right. And they encourage parents to uh, you know, talk to their kids about the game, say the names of the numbers out loud, encourage your kid to say the numbers out loud, etc., etc. I started reading the manual and I quickly realized, ah, oh, crap, because you're supposed to use the official Atari Kids Controller, which, honestly, I didn't know was a thing. So I had a moment of podcast production panic, because I don't have that, nor do I have the Oscars Trash Race overlay to put on the Kids Controller. So I started looking on you know, eBay. This episode sponsored by eBay. Not really, but I'm open to see if I could buy one and if I could get it here in time to put the show together, etc., etc. And then it occurred to me, I have the keyboard controller that I bought to play some other game. Would that work? And I plugged it in, and it does. The keys don't quite line up, so you kind of have to push different keys to figure out which row of up keys is going to make your grouch actually move up and which one do you have to use to jump and how do you do this and that but once you figure that out yeah it works just fine um it just gets a little frustrating because certain rows of the keypad keys do stuff and certain rows don't and if you're in the middle of you know the the heated contest of the game and you hit the wrong row it slows you down which is my excuse for the horrible performance you're going to see or hear in the field report so once I figured that out, I thought, okay, I don't have to buy this other stuff. So sorry, whoever was selling the Oscar, the Grouch overlays, and kids controllers, you lost out on a sale. You almost had me. So the game select switch t- helps you select which game, because that's what game select switches do. Uh, there's a matrix in the manual uh, for the different games. Reset starts the game. The difficulty switches don't do squat. And then the manual gives us a legit short story. And it is a long story. A lot of us know how, you know, the dimensions of a, the typical Atari manual. The story is... One, two, three, four, five, five pages long. I am tempted to read it because this is in my head anyway, foremost, a storytelling podcast. So, should I do it? Mr. Butcher, this isn't a reading room. Either buy it or feed it. Hey, why are you all standing here staring at me? Scram! Get lost! 
Yeah, all right. Grouch Day Picnic, a read-aloud story. It was the morning of the annual Grouch Day Picnic. The weather was perfect, cloudy, cold, and dreary. Little grouches from all over the country came to the picnic, which was held at their favorite spot, the Scenic City Dump. Uh, side note here. Uh, one, this is a cold reading. I haven't read the whole story until this moment. Two, Everyone gathering at the scenic city dump reminds me of when I was a kid in the 80s and I would take summer trips to fishing resorts, well, one specific fishing resort actually in Ontario, Canada, with my dad and my mom, because uh, yes, that's what we would do frequently for our summer vacation. And we would fish during the day, you know, and then we would come in and clean the fish and have dinner and all that. And, and uh, because we had mom along, the day would run end relatively early compared to like when just the guys would go fishing. So we'd need something to do. So we would go into town, and uh, what tourists like to do is go into town. Remember, this was a long time ago. This was in the 80s. And you would go into town, and you would drive to the dump, and you would sit in your car. It would be dumb to get out of your car because you could watch the black bears come into the dump to forage for food which is kind of depressing, actually, when you really think about it. But when you're a kid, and it's a long time ago, this was kind of a cool thing to see. So that's what that sentence in the story reminded me of. Anyway, back to the story. The little grouches ate peanut butter and pickle sandwiches. I totally agree that anything with a pickle would make you grunt, make you grouchy. Uh, peanut butter and pickle sandwiches all showed off their junk collections, told grumpy stories, and played grouch games. But... The high point of the day was the Trash Race, a game invented by Oscar the Grouch and his pet worm Slimy. When Oscar blew his broken bugle... <laughs> Never mind. The race began. The three grouchiest grouches got to play first. They lined up at the back of the dump and waited for the start signal. Blat! went Oscar's trumpet. Here comes the trash truck! yelled the spectators in the grouch gallery. The three grouches waited nervously while a trash truck slowly backed into the dump. Out poured the trash. One, two, three, four. Four old tin cans. Each grouch counted carefully and checked the number on his can to see if it matched. It's Herman, yelled someone in the crowd. No, I think it's Grungetta, yelled another. But they were both wrong. The grouch with the number four on her can was Sloppy. It's me, it's me, shouted Sloppy as she started racing to the trash. She knew she had to grab the trash and make it back to the starting line before Slimy reached the other end of the dump. Go, Sloppy! yelled the crowd. Go, Slimy! shouted Oscar the Grouch. Sloppy raced through the muddy junkyard, leaping over puddles and potholes as fast as her little green legs would go. By the time she reached the trash pile, Sloppy really lived up to her name. She was covered with mud from head to toe. Sloppy quickly grabbed the trash and ran back toward the starting line. It was a close race. Slimy was only a slither away, but the thought, uh, the thought of the grand prize gave Sloppy an extra burst of energy, and she slid across the starting line before Slimy got to the far edge of the dump. Hurrah! yelled all the grouches. Boo! yelled Oscar. Sloppy stepped up to Oscar's can to receive his prize, her prize. It was a delicious, icky sardine sundae. That day, the little grouches ran several more races. They simply loved racing for cracked plates, Old shoes, apple cores, junk mail, used toothbrushes, crumpled tin cans, and other wonderful junk, uh, including hats, banana peels, 
uh, some round thing. I don't know. That's supposed to be uh, old hangers and teapots. Of course, some of the little grouches like playing in the puddles that covered the dump as much as getting the trash. After the trash races, the grimy participants celebrated by eating more peanut butter and pickle sandwiches and talking about especially rotten aspects of the game. At the end of the day, everyone agreed that a grouchy time was had by all. The end. Not only was that a, a wonderful, potentially Pulitzer Prize winning story, not written by me, presented here only for entertainment purposes, it also, of course, was a, a not-so-subtle way to introduce your kid to the gameplay. The object of the game is to help the little grouches count the trash, run to it, load it up, and return to the starting line as quickly as possible. Each time you finish a race, you get one point. To, to select a little grouch, press one of the three grouch buttons on your keypad overlay. If you pick a grouch whose number doesn't match the number of trash pieces, a buzzer sounds. To move the grouch down, press the arrow points down, move left and right, press the arrow that points in the appropriate direction. To make the grouch jump, press the jump button on your overlay. To remove the grouch back up to the starting line, press the arrow that points up. Oscar's Trash Race contains seven, seven action-packed games, uh, action-packed levels. Below are detailed descriptions of each. For quick reference, see the game matrix on the back cover. So there are seven games. Basically what it comes down to is some of the games are two-player versions. And basically as you progress from game one to game seven, the difference is the addition of Slimer. Uh, moving across the bottom of the screen, giving you a timer, effectively, and also the addition of thunderstorms and puddles. Little The puddles just present obstacles to slow you down between um, uh, the starting line and where the trash is. So you have to you go around or jump over the puddles. If you fall into one, it slows you down for a couple of seconds, and, and that, of course, adds the pressure as, as slimy is moving across the screen. When the race is over... Uh, The time has run out. Oscar the Grouch appears on screen, you know, counting your points. And and his trash can opens, and there he is in all his magnificent green glory. There's a a graph listing all of the different items. A bone, a hanger, mug, toothbrush, tin tan, television, hat, phone, tennis shoe, shoe. They make a distinction here between tennis shoe and shoe. Envelope, scissors, boat, hammer. Beach ball. And then they have a page, uh, a coloring page. Oscar and the little grouches are getting ready to eat a yucky picnic lunch. What do you think they will eat? Draw the lunch and color the picture. Uh, There's another coloring page. There are uh, some pictures uh, of scenes basically from artistic renderings of what happens in the game. You have to figure out which of the pictures represents what happens first in the game. You know, kind of put them in order, then tell a story about what happens in the race. That kind of thing. There is a trash match game. Each little grouch has a number on his can. The number tells you how many pieces of trash he or she will get. Draw a line from the grouch to the pieces of trash he will or she will get. I am curious if different manuals have different sets of numbers. On the page I'm looking at, there's a th- one has three, one has four, and one has one. And there are little groupings of that many items at the bottom. And you have to draw the line to the appropriate number. Oscar's scavenger hunt. Oscar wants to fix up his home. Here he is at the city dump looking for fabulous junk. Help him find one slimy the worm, two sardine ice cream cones, three yucky balloons, four little grouches, five banana peels, six old shoes, and seven tin cans. And then that game matrix at the end of the manual. Slimy is the game length indicator. There's a puddle jump game and a rainy day game. Basically, the rainy day game is the effectively the hardest level. And between there and, and 
that level, you have levels with no obstacles, you have the puddles, you have the rainy day, where it's raining and puddles and slimy and all hell breaking loose, essentially. And that is how you play Sesame Street, Oscar's Trash Race, from Atari, and the Children's Computer Workshop. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. Atari Protos notes that there were several Sesame Street-themed games, Cookie Monster, Ernie, Big Bird, Grover, all had games. A sixth children's computer workshop title called Count's Castle was also planned but never finished. While I'm sure most adults are rolling their eyes right now, kids would probably find this game interesting. Nothing like turning today's children into tomorrow's regular Atari customer. Out of all the CTW games, Oscar's Trash Race is the most interesting because it actually provides a little challenge. Of course, that's not saying much. For those of you who need a little primer, Oscar the Grouch was... A Muppet, one of the Muppets produced for Sesame Street, children's television show which premiered in 1969. The Muppets from Sesame Street are not the same thing as regular Muppets. They are a separate sort of thing on their own, created by Jim Henson, but that's a whole conversation for another time. Oscar was a green furry monster who lived in a trash can, frequently argues with the other Muppets and human characters. Despite his grouchiness, this is all from... uh, the American History.cdu.edu site. Oscar is a valued friend to the other characters on Sesame Street, demonstrating the importance of understanding, tolerance, and diversity. Originally performed, of course, by Carol Spinney, who died not that long ago. Carol Spinney also did Bidbird, and is much beloved in the Muppet world. He said, Spinney did, that he based the character's voice on a cranky New York taxi driver. Jim Henson's inspiration for the character was a rude waiter at a restaurant named Oscar's Salt of the Sea. In his original concept drawings for Oscar the Grouch, Henson imagined a spiky, grumpy-looking magenta monster. Due to the limitations of early color television, however, Oscar was redesigned with orange fur for its premiere on the first season of Sesame Street in 69, and only changed to green for the second season. Oscar, you know, the the in-show, the in-world explanation for this was that Oscar went on vacation at Swamp Mushy Muddy, where it was so damp that he became covered in slime and mold. As far as I could tell from poking around on the internet, the real-world reason for the change from orange to green was simply that Jim Henson thought he should be green. Oscar the Grouch is a live hand puppet, which means that one of the performer's hands is in the puppet's head, while the other is one of the puppet's arms, which has gloves for hands. Another puppeteer is usually needed to operate the other arm, which is known as right-handing. And I think something I saw said that uh, initially... The way the set was set up, Benny had to use his left hand to operate Oscar, which was awkward for him, being right-handed. So they moved the set around to make it a little easier for him. 
Spinney uh, operate the character from the very first episode in 69 up until Spinney retired in 2018. Eric Jacobson began understudying for the character in 2015 and officially took on the full role after Spinney's retirement in 2018. Although I thought after that Spinney would still do the voice for Bidbird and Oscar, but not the not physically operate it. Early on in the run of Sesame Street, there was criticism that Oscar represented residents of inner city who had grown to accept injustice when they should not have done so, and there were observers who perceived Oscar to be a negative impression of African Americans, even though the Sesame Workshop did not intend for him to represent black people. Joan Dan's Cooney, it was basically her idea for the show, uh, was confused by this viewpoint uh, when journalist uh, when a journalist informed her of this issue. Spinney had to retire from the uh, role because he'd been diagnosed with dystonia. And yeah, even after Eric Jacobson started understudying in 2015, he would lip sync to a pre-recorded vocal track by Spinney. And other times he'd just do the voice himself. If you're interested, the Muppets Wiki has a whole page devoted to how you know the, the major and minor changes uh, evolution as they put it, of Oscar the Grouch through the years, if you're so inclined to check that out. I was a Sesame Street kid. I was not, I'm not old enough quite to have watched the show from the beginning, but I was uh, the right age for for Sesame Street when the show was still fairly new. And I went on to become a huge Muppet fan. I could talk about Muppets. I could do it. Well, I couldn't do a Muppet podcast. I'm not that expert on it, but I could fill up the rest of this episode with Muppet stuff, if I chose. Um, for example, one of my favorite toys as a kid was the Fisher-Price Sesame Street Muppets set. Uh, Fisher-Price Sesame Street playset. Basically, it was the, the buildings of on that set. Mr. Hooper's store and the apartment building and, and uh, Oscar's trash can and, and uh, Big Bird's nest and stuff. And it came with all the little figures. My favorites because they were my favorites on the show, were Bert and Ernie and Oscar. Uh, they were my favorite of the little figurines. I was also, also a Grover guy, but interestingly, I don't think Grover was included in the set. Oscar, the little figurine of Oscar in the Fisher-Price set, was cool, because when you open the lid, Oscar's head would pop out, because it was attached on both ends, and it would slide in and out of the can, so it looked like Oscar was coming out of his can. When you're four, that's pretty cool. So yeah, so that was awesome. I do not have... Actually, I, I do have the set, but Oscar, not Oscar, I think it, Oscar's there. Bert and Ernie are missing. Bert and Ernie went missing when I was still a kid. To this day, I don't know where Bert and Ernie are. If you guys know where Bert and Ernie are from my Fisher-Price playset, let me know. Uh, also, fairly recently, Lego came out with a massive Sesame Street set. It cost roughly $80 billion, so I haven't bought it. Also, I have a concern that uh, as fun as it would be to put together... I don't know where I'd put it, because, like I said, it's huge. And sets like that, after you do all the work to put them together, you don't want to just take them apart. You want to put them somewhere, and I don't know where I would put it. But I would be willing to find a place for that. So if anyone wants to send it to me, uh, I'll figure out where to put it. Okay, thanks. All right, well, that's enough uh, Muppet stuff for now. After the break, Oscar, tell him what to do. Trash! 
No, seriously, I do. Got lots of around my house. Uh, Jill's really bothered by it. But you know what? I love trash. We're playing Sesame Street Oscars Trash Race today. And I will tell you that it is unreasonably frustrating for an adult to play a preschooler game. And that probably says more about me than about the game. But let's check it out and see what happens. Here comes the dump truck, dumping out his trash. Three, five bones, I guess. In my defense, when you see how I perform in this game, I just tried to jump over a puddle, didn't work. In my defense, I'm not using the Atari Kids controller because I don't have it. Oh no, it's raining, filling up the puddles. What am I going to do? This game's even harder when you're talking and playing and not using the proper controller. I've made it to the trash, I've picked it up. I gotta make my way back. Man, I can't talk and play this game at the same time. Jumping over the puddle, Slimer is more than halfway across the screen at this point. Man. Hey, I jumped over it. Phew, that was brutal. I have done way better than this, but I'm trying to push buttons that don't quite match up to the kids' controller. Alright, we have four pieces of garbage this time. I like the look of the game. Uh, the thunderstorm is very realistic, if I can use that word. Uh, Oscar was little green feet. It's kind of cute. Slimer doesn't really look like Slimer, but he's... Oh, there he is. Here he comes. Who's it going to be? I can't wait. It's like a countdown in reverse. It's Oscar! Hey! Slimer doesn't really look like Slimer, right? He's green on the screen, because the background is green. He's supposed to be orange and red, we all know that. But I'll let that go, because I like this uh, adorable little game, even if I'm bad at it. You know, no judging, please. Back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's X-E-G-S, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in Love, Twisted Car Races, and the aforementioned Devilish Breakfast Food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Pizza Dakota ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, and words. Lots of those too. 
picked up Hell Serial, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you like to get your books. Not cereal. Here's the thing about Sesame Street Oscars Trash Race. I was surprised at how challenging this game was. Is it the hardest Atari game ever? Certainly not. But it, it does what it's designed to do, and I think it would keep little kids engaged. At least, you know, early 1980s little kids. By that point, by the 1980s, I was too old for a game like this. But if I'd been young enough, as much as I like the Muppets in Sesame Street, I would have been all over this game. And it's it has surprising production value. The the characters look good. The thunderstorms look really good. The you know the rain coming down and the lightning and stuff and the puddles filling up and the little grouches walking around in their trash cans. It all looks really good. Uh, I was surprised. So and it made the game fun, even though it's obviously not a game for a fifty year old guy. It's a game for uh, a four year old kid. So kudos for that. In fact, I thought, I played this game a lot longer than I probably would have normally to prepare for the field report, but I thought the deal was you had to finish three rounds of picking up trash, uh, like in game seven, before Slimy got to the other side of the screen, and I couldn't get it. I could get, like, almost to the end of the third round, and it was frustrating me, so I kept playing and playing, and I looked a little closer to the manual and realized, no, you have to do as many times as possible to get more points, but there's no three and you win the game kind of thing but i couldn't let it go i couldn't let it beat me uh plus it was kind of addictive even though it's really simple really simple for an adult but still a little bit of a challenge and it would be a fun game to sit and play if you had a preschool age kid anyone listening if you've got preschool age kids you know pop this in they might have a good time learn their numbers along the way replayability that's what what it's all about replayability with muppets i'm totally there if you have thoughts about oscar's trash race let me know. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story comes to us from Bad Poetry Corner, and it's titled Grouch Potato, a poem. A trash bag blows across the street. Another collects our garbage. While the climate is all carnage. But foulest trash bags that excrete are human trash bags we all meet. Twitter trends with louts and grouches dispense hatred from their couches. They say anti-vax, women suck. Migrants invade, COVID masks suck. Their freedom calls give all ouches. Yes, circular reasoning rules. Things are bad because they hate things. To them, stench of righteousness righteousness clings. To be sure, the stress never cools, and ignoring it makes us fools. But lying, fear-mongering gets us nowhere, and it's a safe bet. That's what haters want. It's their life. Social media as a knife. Their power is to make us fret. So when they yell, you yell louder. You know their facts are illusions. Smoke and mirrors for confusion. With truth, power becomes powder. To be brushed away to founder. Won't work, of course. Some, but not all. But continue to BS call. Grouches are stubborn, fearsome lot. They are built to take all you got. 
but not always. False idols fall. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the End of the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. Okay, listen to this. Everyone on Sesame Street is always talking about love. Yuck. But now it's time for me to tell you what Oscar the Grouch loves. The thing that Grouches love best of all. Oh, I love trash. Anything dirty or dingy or dusty. Anything ragged or rotten or rusty. Yes, I love trash. And that's our show. Thanks to Sesame Street and the Muppets for making me so happy for many, many years. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Competech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme and the Jason Says Stuff theme, which we didn't use again this week. Jason, where are you? Leave your grouchy views on Apple Podcasts about the trash that is about the trash that is this podcast, just as long as you wrap it in a five-star review. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com, like the show on our Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, check us out on Instagram. You can call us, too. I'm never going to answer the phone, but don't take it personally. I just don't do that. Leave us a voicemail instead, 563-265-1978, about really any damn thing you want, and I'll probably play it on the show. Want to talk to us about Muppets? I am totally there. Doesn't matter. Whatever you want to talk about, I'll probably play it. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com. You're going to find their information, social media, episode links, on and on for this podcast, Atari Bytes, and for my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown. You're also going to find information about books that I've written and links to just a few of the places you can order them, like Hell Serial, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, and soon, I think I can say that now, uh, before the end of the year, certainly, uh, another short story collection, and I'll talk about that more later. Consider supporting the show by subscribing on the Atari Bytes page on patreon.com, link in the show notes. Your subscriptions help keep the lights on here in the podcast studio, and it allows you to, in a way, be in the company of these other fine folks who are already subscribers and who uh, I owe an extreme, extremely high debt of gratitude. They are Michael Tyler, Jose Cazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., Mark Super and Jim Goble. Thanks to one and all. All right, we're about out of here. All that's left is to tell you. Ooh, next time on Atari Bytes. Ooh. Next episode of Atari Bytes drops on Halloween. So, in a bit of on-the-nose creativity, I guess, we're going to play the Atari game Halloween. This was a suggestion uh, by uh, Patreon supporter Patrick McCarthy. That's right, if you subscribe to the show at the $4 per month level, you get to help program this show. That's right, you get to claim some responsibility for the trash fire that is this podcast. So, good on you. Patrick, you are on notice right now. You are also the guy who made me play the Porky's Atari game, 
which still gives me nightmares. So this game better be more fun than that. I'm just telling you right now. If you want to know if it is, everybody, tune in for the next episode. And until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.